And, uh, you know, la- last time I was here, I got a chance to show you a picture of my unborn son. And, and, and he kind of looks like the same way, you know, he, he was in that picture. But actually, today I'm going to show you a picture of, you know, he's, he's 13 days old. So, uh, there he is. Pretty incredible, right? They got him smiling. So 13 days old. That means that I haven't slept for 13 days. So if I pass out today, I mean, please wake me up, okay? It might happen. I'm being serious. Um, You know, we had an incredible experience. Uh, First of all, I just want to say, if you're a father, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry if I've ever said anything or I thought, you know, it was not hard. It is so hard. And actually, if, you, if, you, if your parents are here today, I want you to look at them, if, you know, look them with your eyes and say thank you, okay? And say thank you every day of your life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, becoming a father is it, it an incredible experience and an experience that, uh, you know, it's, it's really even hard to describe with words. Uh, for the first two days... I was just in awe and, and overwhelmed, really, with with love. You know, I, I you know I love my wife, I love her to death, but I've never felt this much. I just felt overwhelmed. I was like, I can't do this. I love him so much. <laughs> I love you so much, and I just met you. I mean, if, if you're, but it, it really was overwhelming. And, and you know, thank you very much for your prayers. Thank you very much for your support for the, all the food that you brought. Um, you know, just a quick story, really quick. Uh, you know, Amelia was supposed to be induced at 39 weeks because there was not a lot of ambiotic fluid. So they said, you know, it would be safer to do it at, you know, 39 weeks. But when you hear the word induced, you're like, oh, you know, it's not natural. And, you know, we're, you know, we're first, this is the first time. So we're like, are we doing something wrong? And we asked advice and we're freaking out. And, you know, and Amelia started praying. So, like, you know, they gave us a day, you know, it was, it, it, I don't remember what it was, when it was. It was, it was Monday at 3 p.m., uh, April 11th, we were supposed to show up. But Amelia started praying, and we started praying, God, you know, we want it to be natural. We want it to happen before, we, you know, we still have like two weeks, so make it happen before two weeks. So Monday gets there, you know, in the morning, nothing's happened, and really cool. We show, up to, we show up to the hospital. Amelia steps out of the car, and the construction starts. You know, when we get to, you know, we get to the, in the hospital, they put them on the bed, and they, they connect her with all the cables, and they say, you're having contractions. We don't have to induce you. Incredible. You know, and I know some of you are as a coincidence, but for us, it was just, you know, God is answering prayers. You know, God is a God that answers prayers. Um, so it's enough talking about babies. So you'll be distracted. Can you take that off for a little minute, please? I'll be distracted. But, you know, but thank you very much again, you know, for all your, uh, all your praise. This is an incredible church, and we're so grateful, and, and I'm so happy to be here. Um, but we're not a perfect church. Amen? Sorry to, you know, if you didn't figure it out before, we're not a perfect church. And actually, today, the title of the lesson is The Mess Under the Carpet. And I feel like this is something that we can all relate to because... You probably have somebody calling you that they're like five minutes away from your house. And you start freaking out because, you know, there's all kinds of stuff in your house. And 
start putting the pillows back on the couch, and there's trash around, and we have diapers now. Right, you know, there's people coming to your house, and you want to make it look good. Now, why do we do that? Why do we want to look good? Well, because one, they, hopefully they don't think we're pigs from the way we live. But, you know, and, and usually we're comfortable being there when nobody else is around. Like, you know, you're, there's all this mess, and you're okay. But then all of a sudden somebody's coming, and it's like, oh, man, this place is a mess. And I don't want people to look up, you know, and so you start, you know, cleaning up and you start, you know, putting things under the carpet and maybe in your closet and, you know, maybe you have, maybe you have like hardwood floors on the closet and start putting things away. Like you can't even get things. You know, we put like the dirty dish, you know, they're in the sink. You start putting dirty dishes on the dishwasher really quick and I'll take care of them later. You know, spray something around. I turn on the AC so that, you know, it feels a little better in the house. But, you know, but that's all good. You know, it's, it's okay for people to come to a clean house. Uh, but the, also the, 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 the idea is that sometimes we do that with our lives. And we do that with the messes in our life. And, you know, we're comfortable when we're by ourselves. But when somebody else is around, we don't want to really show them who we really are. And we feel uncomfortable when we start putting things under the carpet. And we start showing up to church, and, and you're here, and you're smiling, and things are great. But underneath, but inside, you know there's a lot going on. But inside, there's things that you know you haven't dealt with for a long time. And you know the problem with that is that we become a church that people look at that to be able to be part of this church, you need to be perfect. You need to look good. You know, people that go to church, they are perfect. They, they have no issues. They have nothing on them. There's no, there's no past situation. And the danger with that is because we start, we, we create this perception that to be able to go to church, you have to be perfect. You know, some people even disqualify themselves saying, you know what, I can't be there because I, I don't really have my life together. So I'm not going to go to church yet. Because I need to figure some things out first. And the reality is that when we put things in here, nothing really gets resolved. Right? I mean, these things stay here until, you know, you deal with them. You know, unresolved issues from the past have a way to coming back into our present. And they also influence our future. So there's only one thing we can do with this is, is to really be able to deal with this. Be able to deal with what's under here. Um, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to kind of figure it out, you know, that we're not perfect. You know, sorry to say that. If you came to church today and think we're perfect, we're not. I'm just going to say that, you know, up front. There's a, we have a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot. Just talk to somebody next to you. And, you know, and sometimes people come here and they, and they feel, you know what, I, I can't really relate. I can't really be part of this church because I don't really have my life together. Um, and we believe that the church is probably the wrong place to deal with issues. The, the church actually is not the place to, when you come and you really 
deal with the past or deal, deal with the, you know, losses. And, but what if, what if that's the opposite? What if the church is the place where people can come and deal with the past and deal with the issues and deal with the losses? You know, I get to share my, you know, I've been inviting people to church for, for a long time. And I get a lot of excuses, as many of you know. And, and probably one of the top excuses is, you know what, Alex, and I, and I say, hey, you want to come to Lifeway Church? It's going to be cool, cool music. And they kind of like get close to you and they start looking at you. Let me, let me tell you something. See, there, there's things in my past that I just, I'm, I just haven't dealt with yet. And I don't want to go to church yet because if I go there, I'm going to be a hypocrite. And you don't want me to be a hypocrite. So, so I'm going to deal with them first. I'm going to try to figure it out, and, and then I'll go. And you know what I say to you and what I say to these people now? I'm sorry. And I, and I, I want to apologize to the global church. I'm sorry that we have given you that perception of the church. I'm sorry that you think that only perfect people and people with no issues can come to church. Because it's not true. That's totally not the truth. And one of the reasons why I think this happens is because sometimes we put people in the Bible like somebody that it's people that are holy, that they have no issues, and you know everyone in the Bible was incredible, and they did great things, and holy, awesome. The problem with that is once you open the Bible, right? You open the Bible, you start reading, and you figure it out that all of these people had so many issues. Actually, just read the first chapter of the Bible. First chapter. You're going to encounter a family that had so many situations and dysfunctional. It's like probably one of the worst dysfunctional families I've ever met. If you want to feel good about your life, read the Bible. Actually, the only person that didn't have issues in the Bible was, happens to be God. Everybody else had issues. And this morning, I, I want us to look at one person, and, and, and this is the example. Let's look at the example of Paul. You know, Paul is uh, somebody that we kind of, you know, elevate, and, you know, he's, he, was, he was great. And you know, maybe when you study the Bible, you study the Bible, you figure out who Paul is, and you're like, man, I want to be like Paul. Paul was incredible. He started churches, he went in mission, mission trips, and he did all kinds of great things. You know, he wrote most of the New Testament. He launched a worldwide movement of the church of Jesus. Actually, he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that many of you read for your wedding. For your wedding. But here's my hunch. The Paul... Just like you and me, just like everyone else, has some issues. And I can tell you this because he actually gave himself a nickname. He said, if you're going to call me something, don't call me holy, don't call me saint. Call me the chief of all sinners. Can you guys click it? There you go. If you're going to say something about me, I want you to call me 
the chief of all sinners. Really, Paul? You did a lot of great things. I feel like I've done worse things than you. Because what Paul was trying to communicate here to us is a fundamental truth about the story of God. And the story of God, it's, it's a story that is not that a regular, ordinary God came and used extraordinary people to do great things. That's not the story of God. The story of God is the story that this majestic, this holy creator, awe-inspiring creator of the universe, decided to scoop down and get his hands dirty to deal with the mess of our lives, to sacrifice his son so that we can have a better life, so that we can be the people that we are destined to be. That's the story of God. You know, as a, as a, we, we, you know we had the baby, and uh, the second day, many of you know, they, they do this genetic testing. And they, take, uh, they basically take a bunch of blood out of the kid. They, they stick them on the heel, and they start squeezing. And you have, we have never heard or little boy scream like that. And this lady's doing it. It, it looks like it was eternity. She, it was, a, a, you know, at least five minutes, and she's just squeezing his blood out of him. And, you know, and my wife is just crying on the back, and I'm just like, you know, freaking out. Like, I, I'm, I hate this lady. <laughs> she was so nice, but she was... She was taking the blood out of my son. And I told him, I was like, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm never going to let anybody hurt you like this. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, all of a sudden we started thinking about what God had to go through. What God had to go through with his son. To basically give him up to strangers to take all the blood out. And not just that, but his life. And I just, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't understand how can he do that. I wouldn't do it. I'm sorry, if it was a guy with a guy, you're, you're going to hell. <laughs> and the message that Paul was trying to explain to us is really that he is somebody that, you know, hey, I'm the chief of all sins. So if there's hope for Paul... There's hope for all. You know, hope, uh, Paul, you're like, well, how, how bad was Paul? Let me tell you how bad was Paul. So first, you know, he, he basically what he did is he allowed God to come into his life, to come and, and really lift this up and pull it up and start dealing with what's in here. And what happened was the incredible extraordinary things happen through, through his life. But he said, I want you to know who I, who I am. And he gives us a description of who he was. Let's read it. It's a, it's a really in, incredible story. Acts 26, verse 9 to 10.
You there? Excellent. This is Paul. You know, this is this is the book of Acts, and at this time, there's the church. It's it's starting to boom. Thousands and thousands of people are becoming Christians. The church has momentum, and it's moving, and it's changing the city. It's changing cities. It's changing, you know, cultures. And it's just moving, and, and it has this great momentum. But as it, got, as it has this momentum, the, the church comes to a halt. Kind of like a, a speed bump. And this halt and this speed bump was one person. And that person was Paul. And we read it, Acts 26, verse 9 to 10. It says, I too was convinced that I had to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. So he's acknowledging what he did. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my bows, my bows against them. So he's basically saying, hey, I have blood in my hands. Many at a time went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So that was Paul. And what happens next is incredible and it's fascinating. And this is actually encouraging for us because it got so bad. Paul is killing people and he's opposing the church that something had to happen. And guess what happened? Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? You know, and that's encouraging for you because I don't know, you know, how bad you've done, how many things, you know, the, the, your past and the struggles and the things that you have in your life. It's never been so bad that Jesus had to show up. Right? You, you know, Imagine that. You're like, man, I'm, I'm just going on a roll here. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. So that's encouraging for you. know, Paul is on the way to kill people. And you know the story. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, why are you persecuting me? No, not persecuting the church. Why are you persecuting me? And he blinds them. And he basically says, hey, Paul, I'm going to use you as my chosen instrument. The most unlikely person of all. The one that we wouldn't, I mean, this is the last person. If you're going to pick somebody, that's not the guy. And actually, he talks to Ananias, and Ananias says, Ananias, I'm going to send Saul. Can you go and pray for him? And you know the story. Ananias actually kind of talks to the Lord. Do you know who he is? Have you ever tried, you know, finding yourself trying to talk to God? Kind of explaining the situation? God, I mean, this is the, all of the guys you're going to pick, he's bad, he's bad, I don't want him to come because he might kill me. He's the worst, he's the least, he's the least, you know, candidate. He's the worst candidate for the job. And God says, that's my point. He is the least candidate. He is the worst candidate. 
And if I can do incredible things through him, the chief of all sinners, that's going to resonate for the rest of eternity of who I am. And that's so encouraging for us. You know, God likes unlikely candidates. And many of you might feel like that today. Maybe you're disqualifying yourself from the church because of issues in your past. Maybe you disqualify yourself from doing great things because of things that you've done. And I, I've talked to a couple of people recently, and you know, I just don't feel worthy. I don't think God can do anything through me. And we feel unworthy. You know what? The reality is that we are all unworthy. Who is worthy? We are all unworthy. So if you, if you feel like you're an unlikely candidate, you might be hitting a knock on your door. Because God wants to use you to do incredible things. But Paul gives this, this, example, this other scripture, 2 Corinthians 1, 4. And this is huge. 2 Corinthians 1, 4 says, He who comforts us in all our troubles so that, he can comfort, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I actually like the message version a little better. Says he comes alongside, uh, alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times, so that we can be there for that person, just as God was there for us. You know, um, one of the things that I hear the most with people is, "How did God use my worst sin to help somebody else?" How did God use this thing that I consider my mess, my trash, I didn't want to show to anybody? Because you allowed God to come in here and deal with this. This becomes something that now you can help others with. We have people in our church that do that all the time. I was thinking of many people here. I don't know if you know the story of Frankie Sanchez. Some of you know he was, he was homeless. He was uh, addicted to drugs. He lived in the streets for a long time. He San Gabriel. He figured out what was, going, what was going on. He allowed God to come in here. And now he, he didn't just deal with his things. But he now actually helps other people with in chemical recovery. And we can mention many people here that have allowed God to come into their lives and really deal with this mess. And when we do that, when we stop hiding it, God comes and, and helps us do extraordinary things. So I have a question for you today because, again, I know that we're an incredible church. And I love our church. It's a great place. And if you became a Christian, you know, many, a couple of years ago, you, you kind of did this. You, you opened up and you, know, and, and you kind of dealt with some of these things and things got better and you know that. But I want to ask you, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time that you allowed it, God to come and deal with the mess? 
Are you still doing the same thing over and over again? You know, and this question is, you know, I was thinking about it on the way here, on my way here. You know, having a little kid at the house now that is looking at everything I'm doing, life changes. Now I don't, you know, not just sleep, not change diapers and all that stuff. But now I have a responsibility. And, and I'm saying, hey, man, I have to deal with my things before my kid gets them. Because I, I'll be the last thing I want to, I want to you know, pass my bad things that I haven't dealt with to pass it along to him. So, again, I want to ask you, when was the last time you dealt with things in your life? And I know it's challenging. I have a, like a three-step thing here to, to do this really quick. We have five minutes and, and we'll be out of here. Number one is that you need to acknowledge your past. And acknowledging your past is good. It's, it's, it's the first step. You, you say, you know, well, there's, there's all these things in my life, so I just want to understand that there's things in here that I have that I need to acknowledge. And Okay, they're here. Okay, they're, I know they're here. I'm not just hiding them. They're, they're here. I acknowledge them. But the second thing is dealing with your past is better. Acknowledging your past is good, you know, it's a good first step, but the dealing with your past is better. When you actually start pulling this up and you start dealing with what's in here. But the third thing, and leveraging your past is best. When actually you use what's in here to be able to help others. You know, the, the things that you probably haven't been dealing with, it's not just you that you're damaging or taking away from. There's people around you that God put around you that, that you could be using to help others. And when we do that, when we allow God to come in here, when we allow to come into our mess, and, it's, and, it, and it takes a lot of effort and it takes, you know, for some of us there are things that are, that are pretty intense. For some of us, it thinks that you're going to have to go to therapy for. That you don't really want to deal with or you don't want to confront. But like I was saying, like, unresolved issues from the past have a way to show in the present and then influence our future. But when we allow God to deal with this, when we roll up the carpet, when we pull it up, God makes this something beautiful. God makes this a gift. And now this mess that you've had, now God healed it and God redeemed it. And now you can use it to give to others. And you figure it out, man, this is like the worst thing. And how, how can God use this? How can God use the worst things in my life to help others. But that's what happens every single time. God puts you in, in, uh, next to people that have gone through exactly the same situation that you have. You're like, how did, how did that happen? So what are you doing? Are you taking away some people? Are you not doing things to improve others? Are you disqualifying yourself from doing extraordinary things? You know, God wants to do extraordinary things through our church, and it has. 
But I feel like we have stopped really dealing with what's in there. And I believe with all my heart that we start, if you're visiting today, if you start kind of acknowledging and letting some of the people help you deal with some of those things, God's going to do incredible things in your life. And if you've been here for a long time and you kind of stop dealing with things and you just show up to church and just smile, I feel like God is going to do extraordinary things again with our church. Because if there's hope for Paul, there's hope for all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you very much for this morning. Thank you very much for allowing Paul to really show who he was, to be honest. So that we can imitate him and perhaps be real like he was. Father, I pray that as a church we are a church that encourages one another and that we challenge one another to really deal with the mess in our lives. Father, we don't like it. We're ashamed of it. We want to get rid of it. And we pray that you help us really deal with what's inside us so that you can put us in the path of somebody else that needs uh, encouragement about just how to deal with this struggle. Father, please pull out the carpet of this church. Let's deal with what, what the mess inside beneath the carpet so that we can become the church and the people that we are destined to be. Thank you very much. Amen. And you're dismissed.